3: Don't miss the show Entertainment Weekly calls the boldest and most woke series yet and is on the top of critics' must-watch lists. Star Trek Discovery is bold and beautiful. The series just reminds you that there is nothing quite like Star Trek on television right now, and few things can really fill the unique void it has occupied in pop culture since the 60s. Star Trek Discovery, free Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding drama series, outstanding special visual effects, costumes, and prosthetic makeup. Welcome to Remote Control, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking about Star Trek Discovery with the cast and executive producer. Stay tuned.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel
4: Holloway. I'm here from Variety, and I would like to introduce you to the cast and producers of Star Trek Discovery. All right, so, um, Alex, I'm going to trouble you for one second. We sure. are recording this for a podcast also, for Variety. So you can can you explain in, like, three sentences, because people in their cars need context, <laughs> what,
5: what did we just watch? Okay, so um, Harry Mudd was a character established in the original series, and we wanted to do uh, an, an homage to both him and to a, a lot of... Uh, what the original series did, which is play around with things like time loops and some of the great science fiction um, ideas. And uh, this is episode seven, halfway through the season. So at this point in, the, in our series, um, our crew is still really beginning to know each other and understand each other. And Burnham um, is beginning to find her way from uh, a very complicated upbringing that involved being a, a human uh, on Vulcan, the only human raised on Vulcan, um, and never having really had a relationship with anybody, starting to fall for uh, Ash Tyler. And so she now is uh, is beginning to open up to the idea of love. And I think uh, in the tradition of the best Star Trek episodes, the plot and the character stories mirror each other. So um, the time loop allows her to really explore who she is and, and, and open up a new side of her. Um, Saniqua.
4: What was your reaction when you saw the script for the first time and you saw the word "space whale?
6: <laughs> it was amazing
2: we, um We love what we see not the, the script we have We have lots of affectionate titles for um we say space talk," we say techno babble you know we, we we really love it i um What I loved about it is that even though it's something quite unfamiliar, the idea of a space whale, right. Um, being a Xeno-anthropologist, as, as Michael Burnham, I'm completely fascinated with what we would typically consider other. Um, and so it was quite incredible the way the script was written um, and directed that, you know, I very much was able to see myself in this space whale, well, you know, being all <laughs> alone, which is, you know... <laughs> you know, I say, to some, I say to someone on the ship, I say, you know, even though we don't know... What, uh, what, sh- what she is or, or, or what she's doing here, um, she, she is all alone. And so um, I think that's, that's when things are the most um, powerful, when, you can, when characters can see themselves in, in, in anything, right?
4: Uh, for Alex and Gretchen and uh, Aaron and also Heather, um, uh, can you walk us through uh, the creation of this episode, the decision to do a sort of self-contained episode with M.U.D., and then also, like going back uh, further than that, the decision to incorporate Harry Mudd—he was in a couple episodes this season—and to have Rain Wilson play the character.
7: Well, Rain just, Rain had come in to meet on a couple of other parts um, early, early, early on, and um, it just clicked suddenly when the idea came up that you know we might want to bring Harry Mudd in. It just was like, well, that part is made for Rain Wilson. <laughs> um, and uh, thank god he was available uh, what was interesting to us about the character of Harry Mudd is he's known in TOS as this beaten down um, you know henpecked as if you will husband to Stella and we actually wanted to, what's fun about where we're at in the timeline is we get to show perhaps how that began, how he found his way into that context um, so that, that, that was great in terms of, in terms of the time loop We were desperate to save money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, always starts out. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that's all all, it always starts out. And so a lesson to those beginning, in the middle, or at the end of your career in Hollywood. When you set out to save money... You usually spend more than you thought you would, but um, <laughs> but we uh, but also in the time, it was a season about war, and we, every episode has an element of hope to it, and we, our characters always bring who they are, and there's humor in all of our characters. In every episode, um, when Jesse and Aaron knew that they were doing episode seven, and they and we knew we we're right in the middle of the run, their their idea was like, we gotta do something fun, we gotta do something big, we gotta do, we just have to sort of like do a little uptick of, of just kick up the tone a little bit or do something a little different. And that was the idea from the beginning. And it and it was the right time to do something like this. And, um, and it was ambitious from the start. It was ambitious. The script was one of those things. It was a labor of love that very much what's going on on the ship with you guys as characters went on on set with the actors and crew and went on with the writers and producers as well because... It was like an ocean. I was going to say Ocean's Eleven, but what, what, is it nine now? Eight. Oh, eight. Ocean's eight now. Um, where, you know, you're starting with these, like, the, a perfect plan. It's airtight, and in the middle of it, things sort of get bumpy, but we all came together, and we, and it's it, it's up there. I mean, we're re- all really proud of this episode, and it was a bonding experience for all of us.
4: Heather, there, the character of Mud sort of opens up this kind of bigger issue, when you're creating a new iteration of Star Trek, how much of it did you want to be paying service to previous Treks, and how much of it did you want it to be its own thing that was independent of that?
6: Well, a big part of the show, and everyone in front of the camera and behind the camera, is such a combination of people who were obsessed Trek fans, to people who sort of liked it, to people who barely knew it at all. And so we talked from the beginning, and still do, about the importance of... It has to be true to fans, but it has to open the door to people who didn't know it before. Because especially since prior to now, it's been a a show and movies that appealed to an audience that has grown in age and how do we bring in younger people who haven't seen it before. And that's what's been so great about this show, especially a lot of us have kids who are of the age who can be watching it and being exposed to and brought into that tent. So it's it's always come from a place of, respecting and loving the canon of Trek but how do we open it up to new people
4: and Alex you've been involved in the Star Trek world for a while now when you're putting this together particularly when it comes to design and you know the effects that we see and the props that we see you know how much of that um, how much attention has to go into making sure that yeah you're paying respect to those things of the past.
5: Uh, an enormous amount of detail. And there's a a whole police squad of people who are really on top of making sure that the colors are consistent with Canon and the design is consistent with Canon. And and we're always asking ourselves, okay, we know what a Phaser looks like, but we want to make it new, but we can't make it too new because it's actually pre-TOS. So what can we do to give you both something fresh but also stay consistent with what you know? And that's a daily conversation really on every front. Because it doesn't just apply to the props and to the look of the film, to the look at the show. But um, I think that the the films taught me a lot about uh, how to attempt to walk that line, where you're, as Heather said, trying to please fans, but also bringing in new audiences. Because that's how Star Trek has remained what it is for over fifty years. Um, and for me personally, I think the line between television and film is completely blurred now. Uh, and we endeavor every week to try and make it a, a movie. Uh, certainly that's been our, our goal this year. So hopefully we can continue to do that.
4: Uh, Sonequa, um, you are playing the lead in this. Um, can you talk about just uh, how you came to the show and what your response was when you were first cast as Michael? <laughs>
6: Jesus!
2: <laughs> um, I, <laughs> well, I, I found out about the show... Um, I found out that it was coming back to TV number one, and so that was huge. And then I found out it was going to be digitally streamed, which was really huge. And then I found out that they were looking for a black woman to be at the helm, and I was like, "What?" You know. Um, and so I, you know, I, I was I was really blown away by that. And I was finishing up my last few episodes of Walking Dead when I when I found out about this. And so, that you know, we 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 went forward, and you know, we we all had such a great. Camaraderie from the very beginning, and um, and then there were there were just like some slight sort of scheduling issues at at, at the outset, and all of those worked out and everything. I really considered it to be a divine experience. The the way it all happened, it all just seamlessly fell into place, um, and it was it was incredible. And I I actually have it recorded. My husband recorded me. We were in Buenos Aires when we found out that it was that it was a definite go. And, and my reaction is, is recorded, and, and, and obviously there were tears, and, you know, it's, it, it, was, it was such an incredible moment. Um, uh, uh, it almost, it felt revolutionary, um, and a deep honor and a, and a blessing, and so there was certainly the time where, I, you know, I stayed in the freak-out phase for, for a while, and then, <laughs> and then I had to sort of come down and, uh, and center and, and focus and, at the task at, at hand and, and start digging into the story. Um, because you can't stay in that freaked out place. <laughs> you can't get anything done there. <laughs> so <laughs> but I, you know what I'm saying. but I stayed there as long as I could and then I got out and I got and I got to work. <laughs> Do you guys are,
5: uh, every, anybody ever watch Sesame Street and you know how like when the Muppets would freak out, the camera would be steady and they go That was the video that we got from Sonico I was like.
2: there was another one with my mouth wide open that i sent that i sent to you you too it was you know it, it was amazing and then even knowing then um what little bit i knew about the people i was going to be working with about the, the the producing team and 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 the cast and the crew um you know i was floored by it all and it has all exceeded my 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 expectations and they were extremely high and it's exceeded my imagination even and and it's just such i know we we say it and we sound like I hope we don't sound like broken records, but it it just really is a phenomenal group of people um, across the board, our entire company. Um, And, you know, it's that's that's the big that's the big thing is being able to do what we're doing um, that, you know, we so deeply believe in it um, and being able to do it together. It's just, uh, you know,
4: Um, Burnham's Ark. Over the first season is a roller coaster. She goes from first officer to mutineer to surrogate daughter of an evil emperor in an alternate reality. Um, so how do, you, uh, how do you navigate that? and how much did you know going in as far as where she would go?
2: Well, I knew a general overview, um, but of course specifics come as they come. Um, and you know we, we knew the, the sort of overarching vision of, of Burnham. Um, and there's so many things that I love about it. I could talk, you know, for, for, for days, weeks, months, I think we all could about what, about what we've been given. But I, I, what I love about it is that you see, speaking of revolutionary moments, there are so many revolutionary moments in Burnham's life in season one. And, you know, to go from someone who, who believed that they were always right, right. Um, being raised on Vulcan as a human, um, Believing that logic is supreme makes you think you're always right, right? And so, what I found and what what I discovered about myself as Burnham is that um, I don't know everything, and I am not always right. And just because I was raised with this, um, you know, deep uh, understanding and almost obsession of logic because of um, this one, <laughs> because of my dad, Sarek right it, it doesn 't mean that i that I am um, the the only voice that should be heard, and i I was broken down to the to the depths um, and realized that I was actually allowing my emotions because they 're inevitable as a human being, my emotions to fuel my logic, and it was creating kind of a disastrous situation and i I you know broke down, lost everything, lost everything, and then had to come back to myself and, and and realize that the journey is actually to humanity um, and not to this sort of idea of, of perfection. And that's why I love you know this episode so much as well, because the episode just before it, I find out that Sarek has been lying to me my entire life, and all I've been doing is trying to gain his approval um, as Burnham. And so that's a really big moment um, of self-discovery that actually I have to live for myself, and I have to find a way to... Um, really, be unified in community and realize that we we have to create a true mastermind, which is when you know skill sets and intellects come together, and that 's what it 's really about and and that is that speaks to the greater theme of of you know star trek and and what the legacy is, and we see that played out in all of our characters in this in this season in so many ways this one over here <laughs> um you know we see that that realization and that recognition of our part in the whole, I mean, hence the title discovery. So, uh,
4: James, we see, um, uh, we do not see you in this episode, sadly, but, uh, we do see, as, uh, Sonequa just said, um, Burnham kind of wrestling with, uh, the sort of the impact that Sarek has had on her recently. Um, you're playing a character that is one of the few characters in the series we've seen before. Um,
8: uh, how do you play a Vulcan? Still, I I would like all my questions to be answered by Saniqua, possibly. Sinequa, <laughs> how does James Are you play a Vulcan? Brilliantly. Um, sorry, what was the question?
4: <laughs> how do you play a Vulcan?
8: Um, well, the whole Vulcan thing um revolves around this idea that they don't have emotion, but as 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 true Star Trek fans know. Um, they contain emotion and going back to watch the earlier Sarek um, performances, there was one that really struck me, was right at the end and it was in the um, what do they call it, the, that series the, 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 the Next Generation and um, Sarek has a kind of freak out um, with Picard and it was just sort of mind blowing to watch it's like, oh he has all that going on and he just doesn't let it out. And that's kind of the code. So it's, it's not like you don't feel anything, you feel it and then you go like that. And so being British <laughs> is an enormous advantage. And so all I had to do was sort of layer in some, cond, uh, some condescension and a little, uh, a little sort of patronizing. And, and basically, I was going full Brit. <laughs> this is not going to be published in England, right? I love the Queen. I love Megan. I love all of you. But I, I just don't show it. I think that's a comprehensive answer. Well put. Um, Mary,
4: we don't see Laurel in this episode either, sadly.
9: You didn't see? No. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Um, But uh, she has such a big impact on this season, especially as we go further along. You're also playing a Klingon, which is sort of at the opposite end of the emotional spectrum from Vulcans. Um, So... You know, aside from the makeup and and everything that goes into that, how do you prepare yourself to play someone who you know kills and likes it
9: <laughs> well um it's 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 interesting in that in that same vein of feeling like, yes, maybe Klingons are more uh, expressive of all of that going on, but I think I, I've talked about the fact that Laurel is a character that is almost the closest to me of a character I've played because i don't get I don't have to hold back. I'm six feet tall. I have a big voice. I've been told my entire life I'm too intense. So this is a, an opportunity for me to kind of just be all of that. <laughs> and uh, so it's been so liberating. And I'm, I'm constantly telling all of these beautiful people how how grateful I am to be just constantly challenged by these these large um, character arcs and. Um, just, you know, it, the prosthetic obviously is like a huge part of that transformation. And looking at myself in the mirror, finding that voice, finding what that transfer was from actually speaking Klingon to a dialect, um, letting it be deep and resonant, letting her be um, large and strong, letting her be passionate um, and, and committed. And I think what's really fun about her arc in the first season is it's... Um, misconstrued by the Federation a little bit. Uh, And uh, she's so alien and I think a lot of her actions can be seen a certain way if you're judging her by human standards. And what's been so fun is to kind of not be uh, afraid of that and allowing her to be as full and, and big as she can be and then finding ways in which by the end of the season she's starting to see how the humans aren't so bad. You know, that she has the potential to learn and grow from this incredible cast of characters and, and sees the way in which she, she can also maybe help um, bring something a little bit better to the, to the world. <laughs>
4: um, how do you learn to read lines in Klingon?
9: Ah, it's very fun. Um, well, we have an incredible, we have a, a translator, Robin Stewart, who is, speaks it fluently. She dresses up as a Klingon uh, in her free time. And she's also an amazing, awesome pilot, but she gets the script in English, and she translates it. And then uh, Rhea Nolan is our dialect coach who um, is with us on set, and I, I will have a session with her. The text, uh, the actual, you can get, you can purchase a Klingon dictionary if you so wish. Um, and but the text is pretty um, straightforward. It's just like some certain symbols are like a G and an H together, which is more of like... Huh? as opposed to, like, the capital H, which is more of a, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So you learn those nuances. Um, But I will say, you know, I've reached the point where I can't speak it fluently, but when I see it on the page, I have a pretty good grasp of what it should sound like before I listen to a recording. Like, Robin still sends us a recording of what it is. And we have this amazing um, system we've developed with back translations. So I get a word-for-word translation. Of, of what I'm saying. So for me, that was really important because I can't memorize arbitrary sounds. They're never going to stick in my head. It was, you know, I go sentence by sec- set sentence. I, I break it down, subject, object, verb, all, all, all the sort of stuff, and then just keep running it over and over again. And and by the time it's really in my brain, the whole kind of sentiment of it is is very present in my body. So on the day when nerves go up or whatnot and I'm covered in whatever... Um, <laughs> whatever it may be, um, I'm able to uh, focus in on what's happening. And luckily, I've had incredible scene partners who are willing to rehearse outside of um, outside of the, the day because it's one of those things where you have to have a sense of what the other person's giving you, what they're saying. Um, yeah. I like speaking in English, too, though. <laughs> do,
4: you, do you feel like you could perform Shakespeare in the original Klingon?
9: I'd love to give it a go. I do. I love Shakespeare, and I love being a Klingon, so it seems like a pretty good... <laughs> to be or not to be, right?
10: There you go.
11: You better write.
4: Mary, for you and Sonequa, um, without getting too spoilery, the, the way that this season ends is essentially with these two women who have been on opposite sides of something for the entire season coming together to end a war. So I wonder, um, when you saw that that was going to be the resolution for this season, how did you feel about it, and, and how does that speak to sort of what your idea of Star Trek is?
2: <laughs> oh, man. Well, I f- you know, we were involved in this, in this really um, interesting, unique, uh, powerful sort of love triangle. Yeah. Um, and so we had so many in-depth conversations about it um, because here are these two women who, you know, were on similar journeys. As, as like I said before, a lot of the characters were um, this journey of actualization and discovery of oneself and also of each other through the discovery of, yourse- of, 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 of yourself. Um, and so what was beautiful about Burnham and Laurel is that there, there, were, there were so many similarities between these two women you know, in these worlds, sort of, try, sort of over, sort of overcompensating in a way, um, and trying to find themselves, like you said a moment ago, trying to find their voices. Also, um, going off of, um, you know, strict nurture, right? Um, being being really, really affected by the environments they were raised in, and and seeking to question that, and seeking to maybe even step outside of that, um, and. There was a huge redemption story with Burnham in, in one, and, and what, what was realized is that forgiveness was that sort of key to the actualization, um, the self-forgiveness. It was, it was certainly the forgiveness of um, searching and reaching for that forgiveness of others and that absolution, but also realizing the most important forgiveness was, was, was of myself. And so I, for me as Burnham, that was a really powerful tool in finding my voice um, and in sort of righting my, my wrongs. And what I love also is that here you have these two women who seem like enemies, like you were saying, and realizing that there is no difference between us, which is very Star Trek. There is nothing different uh, between us. And it's something that Takuma says in episode one. Um, that he says, I, I look at you and I see a mirror. I see myself reflected in you. And that's very much Star Trek. All existing things are one. You know, these really, really powerful truths that have kept Star Trek, you know, the, 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 the endowment that it is. Um, and so I love that we were able to, to tackle that in a very tangible kind of way. And there was a, there was a line that um, um, ultimately, unfortunately, had to be cut, but where I look to Laurel and Burnham says, um, you know, today she's not my enemy. Um, which was really which was really beautiful, and you know we had such a wonderful
9: time yeah i mean it, i I just adore sinequa as a human as is pretty evident i think she 's a pretty all around incredible person and uh, but i really <laughs> <laughs> um but it was really wonderful because i i you know as we 're filming we don 't you know we 're not interacting in, until the very end and and we i but we 're there we 're on set we 're doing various things we have a great mutual respect and to kind of see their journeys moving towards each other and it is that thing of like as each episode comes there's this, the specific moments where things start to flesh out and you're like oh we're heading here and of course still the kind of culmination of it is so um, so profound and this idea of I, well, I, there's this parallel that I love again not too spoilery but at the beginning with the tardigrade Burnham's a d- xenoanthropologist she's able to see this trapped creature that is aggressive because he's being um, irritated. And I found that that was like a, a microcosm of the macrocosm of what she's ultimately able to do with the Klingons and with me, is to see, oh wait, you were behaving that way because you were provoked, because you were afraid. You, you, you know, it, it, it's such a testament to her character. And I love that through heartbreak we're able to achieve peace. That there's so many other ways to deal with heartbreak. And, and instead of of lashing out irrationally, we, we come together and hold hands and oh, wow. and, it's and, just and really lift each
2: other up to find our voices together.
9: Yeah. Like
8: the G7 conference rooms.
9: <laughs> like the what?
8: Sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> British. Way to bring it down. Too soon. <laughs> Um,
4: I, I don't really have a question for Doug Jones. I just think he's really amazing. Right?
2: Everybody Woo! thinks Doug Jones is amazing. Uh, amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um,
4: how do you do that? I mean, you do it in everything, and you just do it really, really well. How do you do that?
0: <laughs> I, first of all, hi. Uh, uh, hi, hi. I, I don't know how to answer that. I, uh, well, I will say, I, um, gosh. Uh, in my career of spanning thirty-some years, I have worn more latex than a cheap hooker. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the challenge is, when, when taking on a new character, uh, is uh, how do I make this one different than all the other ones played before this? Um, and you know, and I've, here's the tool I've been given by God himself. And yeah. how do I make it different this time? <laughs> you know, the makeup is, uh, informs a lot of that. The story I'm plunked into, the characters I play off of. Uh, Informs a lot of that. Uh, Saru, uh, I was the funny-looking guy on the bridge, by the way, for those who don't, don't know why the bald guy's up here. Um, and uh, so uh, as a Kelpien, uh, I, I'm the this, I'm, this is a new species to the uh, world of Star Trek. Um, and the fact that it takes place 10 years before the original series, it's like, oh, what happened to the Kelpians? So uh, I, we'll find out. I'm assuming you guys are... Okay, right. uh, so anywho... Uh, uh, so a daunting task to take on a new species and not just a, uh, a new character. Um, so, isn't it? Uh, so so uh, uh, well, I, I will say, uh, costuming uh, really came in key for this. The, the boots I've been given, you didn't really see them in this episode, um, uh, are, are a high-heeled, looks like a hoof boot. Uh, so I'm walking around on my tiptoes all day, which kind of throws my, my, my posture funny. My hips go forward, and I, all of a sudden I'm walking like a supermodel. And it's like, that worked. So my first fitting with my boots was like, that's how Saru walks, right there. Um, so uh, one little bit at a time. Everything, a lot of things, different things inform how this new character takes, takes shape. And, um, and being put into a story, these writers, God bless all of you, I, um, have given me such a, a wide emotional range to play. It's not a one-dimensional, oh, that's the funny-looking guy on the bridge. They go so much deeper than that for me. And giving me this relationship with Michael Burnham, too, that's very brotherly-sisterly. Uh, you'll meet us at the beginning of, of, of season one as a, a bickering little pair. But, like, uh, I'm the one who reminds her, you don't know everything. Okay. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> But by the, as, the, as the season progresses, um, you'll see us come to terms with each other again and again and again. And, and this deep affection, deep respect is exposed as a real brother and sister would have. They bicker, but there's a love underneath it that don't you ever ever cross her, or I, you have me to contend with. That kind of a thing.
2: The life that, that he imbues, also, um, you know, we all marvel at Doug, do we not? All day, every day. Yes, we do. Because he is just able to imbue such life, I, I could cry, through through the through the latex, through the rubber, through the context that cover all of his eyes. Um, it's really incredible to see. And that journey of redemption that we were talking about in actualization and everything, it's, it's so powerful what Saru goes through over the course of the season, and you know, speaking of this relationship that Burnham and Saru have, it's you know that was the sort of first step of, ab- of absolution came from Saru, and there's a beautiful moment that we share in episode um, in episode uh, five actually, um, and and so it was it was just you know speaking of discovery of each other through the discovery of them- of yourself, it, it was so big with the with the two of them and with them finding their love for each other and finding the sibling the true sibling relationship of each other, and I, I just feel that it was. Um, it was really, it was really beautifully written, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I was so grateful for it as well. And I love when you can see these major themes being played out in every, in everyone's story, and, and in the collective story mm-hmm. as well.
0: I also, also, uh, would love to give props to the uh, to the makeup department. Um, oh my gosh, they. Um, uh, Neville Page is our designer who came up with, with my look and, and, and the uh, Klingons and, and then Neville, uh, uh, Neville Page uh, then uh, Glenn Hetrick with his shop and the Alchemy Labs that they have formed together that facilitates making all of these pieces sculpting, painting, forming ah. and then uh, my makeup artist who's the, the lead of the prosthetics department uh, on Star Trek Discovery uh, James, uh, James McKinnon uh, Oh, he's fantastic <laughs> yeah he has quite a Star Trek legacy himself, too, having worked on several series and movies before with, with you, Alex, right? Yeah. Uh, so um, he uh, he is he is a, a master at putting all of this together on me on the day, and also on Mary. He's your lead makeup artist as well, mm-hmm. oh, Mary Tifo.
9: An uh, honor. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um,
0: so it, it takes a village to make another worldly creature. And so uh, uh, to take credit for it, all, all ourselves, would, would be a disservice to all the departments that come together.
9: They really, and they have such an incredible respect for our craft as the as the actor. I mean, it, it's a mutual thing because they understand that we are taking the extra mile to to breathe that life and it's such a symbiotic relationship but I've found on days where it is I'm particularly stressed making sure I got these lines in. He's more than willing to let Rhea Nolan come in and Go over the Klingon with me, or if it's a fun day, we'll just be blasting eighties music like it's whatever you need in that moment, and you do have such an intimate relationship with those people because they're constantly sticking things in your mouth <laughs> uh, very intimate yeah very intimate but it's it's really i yeah we're like, I feel so grateful that it's such a an incredible team because i I would not be as comfortable to go where I went emotionally and in, in, in the work if I didn't feel supported
5: I would add also that uh That Jason Zimmerman and Ante who are here um, and the visual effects team are unbelievable, Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly particularly when in season one of any show, particularly an effects heavy show, you're always trying to figure out what you're doing practically versus what you're going to do in CG, and that gormagander that you saw was halfway built uh, as a big prosthetic thing, and I'm not going to lie, it was awful and we looked at it and these incredible actors shot it, and and we looked at the footage, and we went, "Wow, that's not going to work." Hey, Jason, can you just replace it in every single shot? And they came up with that, and it was, and they had no time. And that's the kind of thing that we do uh, a lot: is we'll make last-minute changes in post and throw a huge amount to visual effects, and um, and they they always deliver. Um, so they def- they definitely deserve huge props.
4: Wilson Cruz.
12: Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh. First of all, can I say thank you guys so much for coming this morning? Yes. Happy Pride to all of you. <laughs> Woo! I'm having a I'm having a moment. I'm having a moment. I'm I am an openly gay man of color and I'm at a TV Academy of um, event. I'm just saying. I'm just... I couldn't be prouder. Anyway, what were you going to (laughs) say? So you are,
4: in addition uh, to being half of the first openly gay couple in Star Trek, you are also half of the first couple to ever brush their teeth together in an episode of Star Trek.
12: Dental hygiene is important. It is
4: important. Even in
12: the future. Take care of your gums. (laughs) Make sure you flop.
4: What has that meant to you?
12: Um, you know, for, an- and Anthony, I wish he was here, um, for Anthony and I to be playing two openly gay men, and to be two openly gay men playing the, these roles, and, um, bringing to life an epic love story in which the gender of the love is less important than anything has been life-altering, and, uh, when we talk about representation mattering, um, it has become clearer and clearer to me in the last year. I mean, just the other day, Friday, I got a note on Instagram from a young man in Europe who was a big fan of the show and said that Anthony and I helped inspire him to come out to his mother. And that his mother accepted and loved him completely and that he thanked us for that inspiration. And for me, that's what it's about, right? In this moment that we are getting, yeah. That we get to help this generation imagine a future worth their while. That we get to express to them a, a future in which they are celebrated for their differences, not just tolerated. That our loves are equal in, 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 in scope and in beauty. And, um, and to be part of that is life-altering. And... Um, and I thank these people for allowing me to be a part of it. And I thank CBS for having two openly gay men play these roles, along with Alan Cumming, who's leading his own series. Um, and we hope... Yes. And, um, and we hope someday that the Academy will um, acknowledge an openly gay man for playing an openly gay role in a drama. That would be historic and amazing. And to be part of this crew is, um, and this cast... <sighs> Is sublime, and we count ourselves lucky.
4: Aaron and Gretchen, when uh, when you hear Wilson talk about that and tell that story, I mean, how do you guys feel about what you have contributed with this season to uh, you know Gene Roddenberry's legacy and the legacy of Star Trek?
7: Um, I, I think when when we talk about visibility. Um, we're, we have a responsibility at this point to go beyond visibility. That's not enough. And as a gay writer and person and human who has a partner and we brush our teeth together every night, um, it was important to show the granular bits of just being in a relationship rather than laying one sexuality over it. And I think, um, you know, to bring it back to this episode, um, you know, you say you have the big idea let's do a time loop episode, how cool. But when Gretchen and I sit down, we say, well, let's do a time loop episode, but what are we getting out of it? Like, what are the bigger pieces that are going to contribute to this giant tapestry that, that Gretchen and I feel very responsible for in terms of weaving a macro world, weaving a universe? And for Hugh and for um, and for uh, Stamets, that's learning more about their relationship. The Cassilian Opera, which is something that starts there and gets threaded through all the way through season two. Little tiny things that make our characters feel alive that just continue to build on who they are and who they will become. So I I think the goal was to go beyond the sassy gay sidekick um, and move into a world where you've got a couple that feels like they have an interior life um, that's getting, uh, you know, developed with each episode. So for me, that, that was the most important thing was to just create a, a true reality. And, um, and you can write these characters and you don't have to be gay. <laughs> right. It's not like I'm the person who sits down and says, let me tackle the culber Stammet scenes. Um, anybody who's been in a relationship, or not even, um, anybody who has a view of what they'd like a relationship to be can write them. But the key is they have to be specific and we have to understand who they are as people. And I think representation um, on so many levels, um, be it religious representation or, or, or racial or, or, or sexual orientation, it's got to go deeper than just, "Look, there's a gay
12: person." Right And
10: yeah
12: you know And for us, the way that, we, that this couple was discovered, right first, we met them in their occupations on the ship. Um, and then it was revealed that they were together. I loved that, you know, that we were first officers of Starfleet who happened to be in a relationship. Um, And to do it with my friend of over 20 years um, is overwhelming. And, um, you know, there was so little that we had to talk about. We didn't have to explain a lot to each other. We um, built this relationship on a foundation of mutual love and um, admiration for each other that already existed so it was easy to fall in love with Anthony Rapp every day
2: and I have to shout out our costume designer Gersha Phillips who is just a genius because she certainly made this one look like an action figure right or he looks like an action figure figure anyway but but you know because
12: nobody wants to see the Michelin man blooming through space (laughs) You are welcome. Yes. (laughs) These pecs are for you. All
4: right, I think we've got uh, time for a couple audience questions if uh, folks want to line up on the microphones right here.
10: Somebody has to break the ice, right?
9: Yeah.
10: <laughs> Hi, Dougie. Question for Doug. Do you ever find yourself, like, out of breath, dry of mouth? Like, this is the most you've ever talked in a long time while covered in all that latex. Um, I'm blanking right now. Well, Hell, uh, Hellboy 2 feels like the last time I've heard you talk this much on screen. So I was just wondering if it is at all for you weird talking this much in character.
0: Uh, uh, the writers already know that uh, uh, the less dialogue I have, the more I'm happy.
10: <laughs> uh-huh.
0: uh, <laughs> Too bad. But, um, <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> I keep begging them to kill me off, uh, but <laughs> no. But thank you, thank you for that. But uh, uh, yes, I, uh, that's, that's part of the of the layers of of, of character that that uh, are revealed so much through the verbal dialogue. Um, I have spent so much of my career creating visual dialogue for characters. Uh, that um this is this has Saru has been a glorious blend of visual and verbal dialogue come together in a character like i've never played been able to play before so i'm very grateful to be here and thank you for noticing by the way <laughs>
10: of course and uh but congrats on shape of water oh, thank you hi was- yeah! <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> uh,
11: this is a kind of a two part question for the first, first one's from mary um how do you audition for Klingon? Did you have to practice the Klingon language, or did I you made my own it?
9: prosthetic. No. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, as I was saying earlier, being six feet tall and and um, being a Shakespeare lover and and uh, I felt like it, it just kind of was a, a perfect marriage of uh, what I was capable of and uh, the people up here that had faith that I could um, manifest it. <laughs> and- Oh. oh! i'm not trying
11: to interrupt you mary i'm sorry it's
9: fine. are we in a time loop is that why
12: <laughs> ladies and gentlemen hello anthony rap airports. <laughs> airports. airports airplanes hello hi everybody hey you look good you know? thank you you look good thank you hi what was it like to play Lieutenant Stamets? <laughs> what was your favorite
11: part? I feel, I felt uh, very much like I'm feeling right now. Like I went through many ringers. No, it was, a, it was a, you mean of this episode or the whole thing? No,
12: tell us about your experience playing this amazing, oh my groundbreaking
11: character. Um, and being in
12: love with that hot actor.
11: I'm not sure who you're talking about. No, um, yes I am. Uh, no, it was—it was—it's been one of the great privileges of my life, and I have Aaron and Gretchen who are sitting right here to thank because they—they they just gave it to me. I didn't even have to audition. That's so. Thank you. I don't know if that's allowed to be public knowledge. It is now. But it's public knowledge. So thank you very, very much. No, it's changed my life in really amazing, incredible ways, and to be the—you know—to. Trek almost did have some kind of someone at some point probably be openly gay, I guess, or they were trying to or thinking about it, but they never made it happen. So the fact that it's been able to happen and that we've been able to be a part of that has been really, really meaningful.
12: Yay! And this episode was huge for you, right? Yeah,
11: Yeah, I had to learn a lot of lines really quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Because the script, you know, we get the scripts, you know, they're working, their booties off and we get the scripts pretty close to when we start shooting because they really are refining it and uh, I had a lot I don't know I was worked almost every day on this show and so Sonequa is the genius at memorizing lines though she's
2: the yeah. genius
9: yeah what what is it yeah, what, in, what is it what? it's your magic it's yeah. <laughs>
6: so
2: it's the words it's the words that tell you don't you think don't you think when the words I think it's yeah, the, the, youth. the yeah, I absolutely. think you have a photographic memory
12: <laughs> <laughs> I think you're just young well
6: <laughs> <laughs>
2: We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I used to remember things, too. <laughs> we'll see. But I tell you, when the words are, you know, when that story is, is, you know, in those words, you can really just sort of gulp them down, you know. Um, because there are, there have, you know, we uh, actors have worked with dialogue in the past where it's just clunky and it doesn't want to, you know, sort of get in there. And so it's really beautiful that we can sort of gulp it, gulp it down. You know, that's these. That's
12: these I have found that it was really hard at first. Because, you know, the, the medical jargon and the science jargon and the futuristic jargon, it was a lot. And so I, at first, was like, oh, I'm just going to memorize these words. And then that wasn't going to work. So I need to, I figured out, I was like, oh, you know what, let me look up maybe the, the root know of this word, maybe. Right? And, like, figure out what this means. Because I was not a science person. I know this is a shock to you. Um, and But once I understood what the science was, you know, what the words were based on, it was real, on real science. I was like, oh, I can memorize that. I can memorize the concepts. And then get to the words.
4: I think we've got time for one more audience
10: question. Right there. First of all, live long and prosper. My fellow Academy members as well. Live live long and
8: prosper. You too. I can't
10: believe I got to say that. So I I was a theater major at Northwestern University. And I secretly was a closet sociology and social psychology major. And I've always been fascinated with that. I would have majored in that instead. But theater, I love. But um, my question is to the uh, producers and the career. Anyone can jump in. In terms of Mr. Roddenberry's vision, um, Wilson touched a little bit on in terms of having a a same uh, gender couple. Um, What is your um, like macro connection to keeping that um, world alive? I mean, we're 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 drawn to Star Trek because of the the individual relationships, but that overall um, uh, connection to his message of uh, equality throughout. overall relationships. Um, I remember when I was young, I was so shocked that Lieutenant Paris and um, Star Trek Voyager was, you know, dating a Klingon. It's like, n- no, no. So what, what what, do you have to say about that?
9: What's wrong with that?
10: I know. Now I've changed my... I've, I've, I've seen the light now. I've seen the light. Um,
5: I, I think that... I think Roddenberry gave television history, history, art history, such a, a gift in... Creating a world in which diversity of all kinds, um, color, um, sexual preference, uh, was an assumption, and his greatest contribution was that it never had to be addressed because it just was as it should be. So, as Wilson's saying, um, you are an officer first, you love who you love, that's all that matters, there is no judgment. That's been removed from the equation. There is no need to talk about it to the degree that we obviously need to talk about it a whole lot today because in the future, in the, in the future that he wanted to envision and I think in the future that we all believe in and really want this show to be about, uh, there should be no strife over these things. Um, there should be no question about it. Um, in a world that is so divided, Star Trek has always presented the most beautiful, optimistic vision of hope. And I think that's why it has endured for over 50 years, because we need hope now more than ever. And, and I think that the reason that we all bring so much of ourselves to the craft of every day's work and why even even through its challenges it's so rewarding is because there are very few shows that get to so organically talk about everything we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis without ever having to bludgeon you over the head with it.
2: And I, I love that. It's like exactly what you were saying, Aaron, a moment ago. If I, I can just say quickly that, you know, it's not just about visibility. You know, that's that's so true. And and it's, it's about being able to see yourself in your highest potential. Mm. And it's about being able to see yourself in positions of authority. It's about being able to see yourself... Um, Taking, um, taking ownership of the role that you have in the greater whole, in the greater community, and seeing how important you are. And, and I know for me, being the first black woman to, to lead the show, it's, you know, whenever I think about the youth, it always brings tears to my eyes, but just being able to see yourself. You know, there's so many representations of self on the show, and you can see yourself. Leading and guiding and fighting and sacrificing because it's not always pretty. You also get to see us, you get to see these people who are diverse yet equal, um, true indivisibility. You get to see us failing and falling and getting back up and pressing forward and digging into ourselves and each other. And so I, I think that's what's most powerful about it because it's – and that's Roddenberry's vision. That's how you have a legacy of equality and diversity is that these people are allowed to be the, the, their full authentic selves. They're allowed to make mistakes, but we see them be champions and their own heroes individually and collectively. And that's, that's the most powerful thing. And in that way, we become – which is so incredible, we become a part of the solution – when we're surrounded by the problem. Yes.
4: All right. Thank you, guys. We're going to leave it there. We're going to ask everybody, thank you for coming out on Sunday for Star Trek. It's the best possible thing in the world. You could come thank out you. on Sunday morning for...
3: Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking about Marvel's Jessica Jones with the cast and creator. See you next time. Don't miss the show. Entertainment Weekly calls the boldest and most woke series yet and is on the top of critics must watch lists. Star Trek Discovery is bold and beautiful. The series just reminds you that there is nothing quite like Star Trek on television right now, and few things can really fill the unique void it has occupied in pop culture since the 60s. Star Trek Discovery for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding drama series, outstanding special visual effects, costumes, and prosthetic makeup.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.